Please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Matthew 6, 25. Anxiety. Even the very mention of that word stirs up all kinds of emotions in the hearts in this room. There's an emotional response in many of our hearts when we just even hear that word much less do that word. We are so easily and so often tempted as people in this world to be anxious. I think this applies to every last human being. And this morning in Matthew 6, starting in verse 25, Jesus aims to help us with this temptation. And what a Christ we serve. What a God that we worship who knows this about us. And devotes a large text of his scriptures to this issue to encourage us away from this crippling condition. So Matthew chapter 6, starting in 25, read along with me as we see what our God says to us through Matthew. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What will you eat or what will you drink? Nor about your body, what will you put on? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Father, I ask that you would apply this text to the lives of every person in this room this morning. For your glory and for our benefit. In Jesus' name, amen. I've said this before, a sermon has not been fully preached until a sermon has been applied. And I'm going to invite you to work with me hard through this sermon to apply the words of Christ to your life because you need this. I think you need this right this minute. And if you don't, you're going to need it by about Wednesday, if not sooner. Anxiety is coming. You just need a phone call in the middle of the night. The phone rings and you're anxious. Pow, right then and there. A hiccup at work. A turn in the economy. And you're anxious instantly. So load up on this message this morning and work with me to apply it. And here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you right now to stop for a moment and think, what is it? What is it that I struggle with as it relates to anxiety? Where am I tempted to be riddled with anxiety? And I want you to hold that issue, or maybe it's three or four issues for you. I don't know. But I want you to hold that issue up before the word of Christ here in Matthew chapter 6 
And I want us to use the word to strike down and to cut off and to cut out and to throw away these things in our lives that cause us to be anxious. So work with me through this sermon. Don't sit back and check out. Apply this one very, very personally to your personal circumstances. Let me set the context here for what Jesus has to say for us. He says, therefore, I tell you. And that's going to draw us back to what he has just immediately told us. And what he told us last Sunday was that we are not to store up treasures on earth. We're to store up treasures on heaven. He's told us that we're not to have an unhealthy eye that fills our bodies with darkness. We're to have a healthy eye that ushers in all kinds of light. And that healthy eye is an eye that looks on Jesus Christ, the true light. And he's told us that we can't serve two masters. We can only serve one. And he calls us to not serve money or possessions. He calls us to serve God. And so if we store up treasures in heaven, and if we have a healthy eye, and if we serve God, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. You see how that connects? And now what he does is he takes us to our most basic needs. He's told us not to store up clothing because moth and rust will, or moths will destroy it. Precious metals, rust will destroy it. And he's coming here and he's telling us that we're not even to be anxious about what we shall eat or what we shall drink. Or will we even have clothing to cover ourselves? So these basic needs are the things that tend to drive us to anxiety. And he's calling us out on this. And I'm going to tell you this morning that anxiety... <laughs> is a very, very dangerous thing for us. I think we blow it off, though. But anxiety is dangerous. Anxiety, you will, disagree, you will not disagree with me, anxiety does take a physical toll on the human body. We get ulcers from anxiety. We have heart conditions from anxiety. Yes, it takes a physical toll on us. But bigger than that, anxiety takes a spiritual toll. On us, And if we live in anxious moments and in anxious thoughts for an extended period of time, our bodies will physically deteriorate, yes, but our souls will do so as well. And that is the more terrifying concept, and we will see the spiritual toll of anxiety shortly in, in just a moment. And let me tell you what I think anxiety does in our lives. I think anxiety is a neon sign that is proclaiming three things. Number one, anxiety is saying to the world in my life, God is not sovereign, God is not good, and God is not present. That is exactly what anxiety is saying. And that does not glorify God, does it? That is not storing up treasures in heaven. God is not sovereign, God is not good, and God is not present. That's what anxiety is proclaiming to ourselves inwardly and to the world that looks on at large. And simply put, if you take Jesus' message here, you're going to conclude rightly that anxiety is a sin. It's a sin. And it should not be cultivated. It should be torn out and thrown away, cut off and thrown away. Anxiety needs to be treated with dead earnest seriousness. Because it will rot our physical bodies and our spiritual souls. 
And the sin of anxiety is bondage. And I've told you week in and week out that our Christ gives us this Sermon on the Mount because he wants to free us from bondage. He's not an angry God pointing his finger at us and ranting and raving. He knows our condition and he's trying to free us from the bondage that we live in. And so I'm going to give you here from this text four reasons why Jesus tells us not to be anxious. Okay, here they are real quick. Number one, God is entirely sovereign. Number two, we are highly valuable. Number three, anxiety is very unfruitful. And number four, anxiety contradicts who we are in Christ. Okay, we're going to unpack each one of those briefly here this morning. And let's look at the first one. God, number one, is entirely sovereign and therefore anxiety should not be a defining attribute of ours. He says in verse 26, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Just picture Jesus on this mount. And he's got his disciples around and these crowds around the disciples. And I can just picture him in the moment looking up and seeing some birds fly by. It says, look at the birds of the year. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds every last one of them until he determines their days need to be done. And so birds have no ability to grow and to store. They are in-the-moment feeders, and in the moment God provides. They are not totally removed from eating. They do have feet and beaks, and they engage in work and gathering their food, but they're not riddled with anxiety. We don't see birds migrating to Mexico with U-Haul trailers behind them. They're dependent on God every step of the way to have the food there that they need. They travel to places where food and water are, and they owe their existence to God. They owe their creation to God and their existence to God. And Jesus says to you and me, look at the birds of the air. He uses something very insignificant, a bird, to show that we, who are very significant, we'll see in a moment, will be provided for. Because God is involved in the details of his creation. Look at the next thing he says. Skip down to verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing, Jesus says? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't toil. They don't spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? So now he goes from birds to something even lesser, grass. And he says, look at the grass. It's totally passive in its existence. Grass doesn't migrate. Grass is where grass was put. And it's dealing with the dirt and the soil that it was given. It doesn't collect sunshine for the rainy day. The sun either shines on it or it doesn't. It doesn't gather up rain. It either rains or it doesn't. And grass has no say in the matter. And God concerns himself with the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven. So if God is so concerned about those details, why would he not concern himself with you and me? That's Jesus' point. Very simple. So here's the good news. You and I are not off of God's radar screen. <laughs> That's good news. God is not oblivious to our circumstances. 
Our situation has not taken us beyond God's ability to help and to provide for. God's sovereignty covers even the most insignificant things of creation. Birds of the air and grass of the field. And so now we go to number two. The second reason Jesus tells us not to be anxious. We are highly, highly valuable. Look what, I, look what I draw this from. In verse 26, he concludes verse 26 with, comparing us to the birds of the air, are you not of much more value than they? Look down in verse tw- in 30. God clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown in the oven. Will he not much more clothe you? You hear this? Twice he has said we are supremely valuable compared to birds and compared to grass and the lilies of the field. And I want you to hear real clearly here, focus in with me for a moment. You are highly, highly valuable. You and I, we are made in the image of God. There's nothing else in creation that can claim that. There's no constellation in the heavens. The the sun can't claim that. The moon The oceans, the mountains, the forests, the most intricate of animals and creatures that God has made, nothing can claim what you and I can. Genesis 1.26 says, God made man in his own image. Male and female, he made them in his own likeness. Nothing else is made like that. That's good news. And secondly... We're made in God's image, and God took on human flesh. God did not come to earth in the form of an animal, or a plant, or a geography. He didn't present himself as a great light in the sky. He took on human flesh. God did. Because he came to meet with man. We're of high value. But it gets better than that. when God took on human flesh, he did that for the purpose to die for human beings. God died for man. God didn't come to die for the rest of creation. He came to die to be a substitute for you and me so that we could be right with him again. We are of high value. God rose from the dead. Not in some other form. He took on flesh again. And God resides right now in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is living in human flesh at the right hand of God the Father Almighty right this minute. And he's coming again one day in human flesh. We're made in his image. He came to us. He died for us. He rose for us. And he's coming again for us. Oh, we are of high value. And that is not human arrogance. It's biblical Christianity. What else did God do? God wrote a book. God gave man language, and God had a book written in language, and God reveals himself in this Bible. He didn't write a book to animals or anything else in creation. Our God has pursued us and provides for us after he made us. We are highly, highly, highly valued. There's not a person that God does not value because there's not a person that doesn't bear his image.
And Jesus says that if we are much more valuable to God than birds, then we must trust that he will also provide for us according to his good will and pleasure. Surely, God, Jesus is basically saying, would not let his greatest creation become dilapidated and run down and destitute. So don't be anxious because you are of high value. Our bodies, our hearts are the temple of God. And surely God would not let his temple become destroyed. No, we are very valuable to this sovereign God. And we need to understand that. And there are people that don't know that that need to be told that. Who are you telling of the value that they have in the eyes of God? Number three, anxiety is very, very unfruitful. Look at what Jesus says in verse 27. Love this. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Anxiety does nothing for us. It is not a fruitful, productive endeavor. It is highly unsuccessful, and it is highly unproductive. You know, I don't think there's anyone in human history that's ever said, after they've gone through a trial, you know, that wasn't so bad after all. I'm glad I devoted so much time to be anxious about that because all of that anxiety made that a lot more tolerable when it actually happened. I wonder what I ought to be anxious about next so that it'll turn out good. Nobody says that. What do we say? When we go through a tough time that we saw coming, we say, man, I wish I wasn't so anxious coming up to this because that was not so bad after all. It was actually good. Look at these good things that came out of that. So we often are regretting the anxiety that we've experienced before something happened. We've never said, I'm going to credit that to anxiety and I'm going to be anxious again so that it'll turn out good next time. Nobody ever says that. In fact, anxiety will actually harm you. I say it's unproductive. I I really want to tell you that anxiety is harmful because anxiety will cause you to do things that right now you're saying are unthinkable in your life. Some of the meanest, grumpiest, most sarcastic people I've ever met are that way because they're anxious. Do you know that? Mean-spirited people who are grumpy, gossips, stabbing people all over the place and just foaming at the mouth. If you get to the heart of that, most of the time you're going to find that they're riddled with anxiety about something. That's like this thorn in the pond. If you can pull that thorn out, they'll become nice, gentle, loving human beings. But they're anxious about a multitude of things. Men and women will neglect their marriages because they're working out of anxiety of running out of something. Moms and dads will neglect their children and their relationship with their kids because they're frantically working their fingers to the bone to provide for these kids. Next thing you know, the kids grow up and they don't know their parents. Next thing you know, the kids grow up and the parents are no longer together. Men and women, it gets more extreme. Men and women will abort babies. Out of the anxiety of, I can't afford a baby right now in this, with this income. 
one of the number one reasons for abortion is I can't afford this interruption to my life. I don't make enough money to support this baby. That is a lie. And that is born out of the sin of anxiety. You see that? You say, that's unconscionable to me that I could do that. Then don't let anxiety fester. Because ten years from now, you'll be doing something that you never thought you could do because you left anxiety unchecked. This is serious. Anxiety is a serious, serious, sinful condition. People will neglect their church. People will not faithfully engage in the body of Christ because they frantically worked all week. And you know what? Sunday I'm tired. And I've got to go to work on Monday. So I can't go to church on Sunday morning. I've got to sleep in. I'm going to take some football in. And this anxiety of working all week is now keeping them away from going to the place that they need recharging. Over and over again. I could just sit here and list for you for hours things that people do that are born way back with a little subtle anxious thought that never gets dealt with and never gets turned over to the Lord. Here's the fourth one. I've given you three. God is sovereign. We are highly valuable. Anxiety is unproductive. And number four, anxiety contradicts who we are. Jesus is teaching here is to disciples. I don't think it's to the crowds because look what he says. He says, Oh, you of little faith. So there's some faith here. There's some disciples here that are following Christ, that are believers in God. And he's saying, you're having little faith when you're anxious. And his point is that to be riddled with an anxiety is to demonstrate that we have a faith problem. So this is primarily a message to Christians, to followers of Christ. If you're here this morning and you're not, well, I'm going to tell you, you need to be anxious But it isn't about food and clothes and drink. It's about eternity. But believer, Christian in this room, when you are riddled with anxiety, you are demonstrating in a neon sign that you have very little faith in a greatly sovereign God who sees you as highly, highly valuable. That's what anxiety is. A true disciple in Christ is faithful, joyful, and content because Christ is faithful and sovereign and generous and timely to all people in all situations in all time whose heart are after him. Look what Jesus says. Because we're talking about this contradiction of who we are. In 31, Jesus says, Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? And then look what he says. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. To be riddled with anxiety is to identify with the Gentiles. We've heard about the Gentiles before in this Sermon on the Mount. And Gentiles, simply put, are unbelievers, people that are not followers of Christ. They are not disciples. They might even be those that are mixed in with the crowds around this sermon that Jesus is preaching. And so we are identifying with Gentiles when we are riddled with anxiety. Listen to this. You heard this just a couple of weeks ago, Matthew 6, 7 and 8, when Jesus teaches us about prayer. 
He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. You see the picture of the Gentiles here? Heaping up empty phrases to their false gods and many words. It's just a a ridiculously um, anxiety-riddled chant. And they're just thinking, if I just say the right combination of words, my God will respond to me. Jesus says, don't be like them because your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So don't be like a Gentile. And here He's telling us that we are not to be like the Gentiles because our Heavenly Father knows that we need them all. So look at this. We have this same concept going on here. That last phrase, your Heavenly Father knows you need them all, goes back to the prayer. And Jesus says, your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. That's a sovereign God. And now we've come full circle, and we're back to the first point that I gave you. Do not be anxious because God's sovereign. He knows everything that you need before you ask. Trust Him. Have faith in Him. Do not be anxious. God is entirely sovereign. So there's the four reasons from this text that I see Jesus has called us not to be anxious. And then look what Jesus does. In verse 33, he actually tells us what to do. Up to this point, he's told us what not to do. Now he says, here's what you are to do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I've told you often as we've gone through this sermon that we never can leave the Beatitudes. Don't ever leave the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are the keys to the Christian life, I believe. And there's eight of them. And you need them memorized. And you need to recite them. And you need to pray them and ask God to make you be the embodiment of those. And listen to this one. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That sounds familiar from the Beatitudes. And I'm going to go with number four. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hear it? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then God says, if you seek first the kingdom... All these things will be added unto you. And over in the beatitude, God says, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be satisfied. You see how these come together? The beatitudes are the keys to the Christian life. We never graduate from them. And right here, Jesus is applying that fourth beatitude to this issue of anxiety. And so let me tell you, I think I have a solution (laughs) I think I have a solution to anxiety. And it's a solution that I have not conjured up. It is a solution that God has given to us. And so I want you to dial in real tight here and listen to this. The greatest, the greatest cure for anxiety is to feast on the Word of God. Feast on the Word of God, and your anxiety will evaporate. It's a guarantee. It's a guarantee. This is God's antidote. This is God's anti-venom from that serpent. He gives us this, and if we ingest this, anxiety evaporates. You open this up, and you will find passages like the one that we're looking at this morning. 
Our great God knows that we struggle with this condition, and so He has spoken to it. And He said, don't be this way. I am God, and you are valuable to me. You open this, and you're going to read story after story, true historical accounts, all the way back to creation, of God providing for His valuable people right on time, lavishly, according to their needs, for His glory. That's all you're going to read in this Bible is God providing over and over and over. And there you will see in this Bible, as you read this, you will see a promise from God oh, to provide for you for all of eternity and a promise that there's a Savior coming again a second time to gather those up that have followed fast after His teachings to spend all of eternity with all the provision that we will ever need forever in His presence. That's what you read when you read this Bible. But an anxious person is one who is biblically malnourished. Write that down in your notes. An anxious person is one who is biblically malnourished. God invites us to feast and we turn him down and we're malnourished. And the only result, the only result will be anxiety. So what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? Real quickly, it means to love Him as Savior, to bow down to Him as Lord. It means to pray for His glory, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is to work for His glory, it is to store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. It is to have a healthy eye and to be filled full of light. But that unhealthy eye fills us with darkness. And I'm telling you, darkness is what anxiety is. So put that eye on the light, Jesus Christ, and you will be filled with him. And so how do we do this? Jesus concludes this in verse 34. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So how do we do this? The Christian life is a life of daily devotion. Daily feasting, daily praying, daily gathering with the body of Christ. Daily, daily, daily. This is not something that we do only on Sundays. We do this every day. And this lines up with Jesus' teaching when he taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We do need daily food that we eat, and we need daily food that we read and apply. God is appointed to each day its portion of prosperity and hardship. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, right? And each day he's measured out the amount of prosperity and the amount of hardship that he has for you. Because sometimes he tests us and sometimes he blesses us. And I'm going to tell you that the tests are actually blessings. And we are not, Jesus says, to bring tomorrow's troubles into today. Into today. God has given us the grace to deal with today's troubles. He's not loaded us up with grace for three years from now. He gives it to us daily in our moment of need. And we are to believe that God will be God today. And we are to believe that God will be God tomorrow. I want to give you one passage of Scripture that is just profound to me as it relates to this issue. 
You don't need to look there, but I want you to write it down. Proverbs 31, 25. This is in the passage where the writer of Proverbs is, is telling us about the woman who fears the Lord. And there's this obscure verse, if you just don't read closely, at the end of this description of this godly woman. And it's Proverbs 31, 25, and it says this about her. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Isn't that beautiful? This doesn't apply just to this Proverbs 31 woman. This applies to the disciple of Jesus Christ. If you are counted righteous in Christ through faith, and if you call him Lord and Savior with your mouth, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can look at the future and you can laugh. Not because you're John Wayne and you've got the future figured out. You can look at the future and laugh because your God is sovereign. And you're highly valuable. And anxiety isn't going to do a bit of good. And it denies who I really am in Christ. And you can look at the future and laugh with joy knowing it will be good because it will be of God. That's the life of Christianity. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to. This is the most gracious text. He doesn't want us riddled with anxiety, living in fear and trepidation, being spooked at every little economic downturn and every little health blip on a physical. And even when our health reports come back horrible, we can look at the future and laugh with joy because the future is good in Christ. That's good news. And that's good news that's available for you only you believe in Jesus Christ, the preacher of this sermon. So I close with this. This issue of anxiety is a major battlefront for all of us. Christ knows it, and so he spoke to it. The world says this about worry. It's a rational response to a perceived need. The world says it's rational to worry. Yeah, worry. Load up on insurance. Stock up bank accounts. Accumulate assets. Worry, 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 because you don't know what the future is going to hold. It's a rational response to a perceived need. But Jesus says worry is a sinful response to our perceived circumstances. It's different. Disciples of Christ are not sinful, anxiety-ridden worriers. No, we look at the future and we laugh. So let's go back to that item of anxiety that I asked you to think of at the first of this sermon. Bring that back up to the front of your mind here. If you are living in a biblically responsible way, and if you are submitted to God's word and to his son and to his will, then you cannot be anxious. You need to look at the future with a smile. You need to have large faith, not little faith. You need to understand and believe and live out a life that says God is sovereign, God is good, and God is present, period. However, if you're living with reckless abandon, defying God's commands, blazing your own trail, and inviting God along for the ride and calling on Him when you just have a little bit of a need, you need to be anxious. 
And you can't look at the future and laugh because you are not abiding in God's word and living according to his will. And you need to be anxious, not merely about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to put on. You need to be anxious about where you're going to be for eternity. And in that moment of anxiety, I urge you to look to Jesus Christ, the only solution to that moment of anxiety. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you.